0: The Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, June 7th, we are going to talk about Sylvia Mendez, the child who desegregated American schools. If you offer most people on the street a dollar and you ask them to name the court case that desegregated American schools, Chances are you get a lot of Brown versus Board of Ed answers. And while this case definitely launched desegregation into the national spotlight, the real genesis of this movement happened not in Topeka, Kansas in 1954, but seven years earlier in sunny Orange County, California. The town of Westminster, coincidentally just about five miles north of the town of Huntington Beach, California, where I was born, could be described as unassuming. It was founded in 1870 as a Presbyterian temperance colony by the Reverend Lemuel Weber. The city's name came from the Westminster Assembly of Divines in 1643. This lively gathering was a 10-year-long restructuring committee appointed by English Parliament to try and fix the hot mess that was Church of England. The town of Westminster, California, in its inception, was so hell-bent on being dry, that farmers even refused to harvest grapes on the off chance that someone who bought them would turn them into wine. Today, the 10-square-mile town is known for its large Vietnamese population, and if you live in Orange County, its reputation as being an amazing spot to get pho. The predominance of Vietnamese immigrants there started back in the 1980s when refugees began flooding in, filling in a neighborhood that spans the border of Westminster and Garden Grove to the east, earning it the nickname of Little Saigon. If you poke around what the city is best known for, though, it's a pretty short list. Bradley Knoll, the lead singer of the band Sublime, who overdosed on heroin in San Francisco back in 1996, is buried here. And Nguyen Cao Ky, the exiled prime minister of South Vietnam, spent his last years in Westminster running a liquor store. And while I'm very sure that both of these stories would enthrall some hosts somewhere, I am very much not one of those hosts. So we're going to talk about the most interesting and important thing that I think ever happened in the town of Westminster, and that is the Mendez family. So Sylvia Mendez, the shining jewel of our show today, was born in a town just 15 minutes east of Westminster called Santa Ana. Sylvia was one of six kids born to Gonzalo and Felicitas Mendez. For the meat of our story today, though, we're just going to be focusing on the oldest three kids, Sylvia and the two oldest boys, Gonzalo Jr. and Jerome. Gonzalo Sr. had immigrated to California from Mexico, where he became a successful asparagus farmer. And Felicitas had been born in Yuncos, a city in east-central Puerto Rico, prior to immigrating to the States. When Sylvia was eight, the family moved from Santa Ana to Westminster after Gonzalo took over running a farm that was owned and formerly operated by the Munimitsus, a Japanese family that had been shipped off to an internment camp thanks to the post-Pearl Harbor federal panic attack known as Executive Order 9066. Basically, this was just an awful time to be an immigrant or minority in the U.S., Not that any time before was really great, and it's not really all milk and money now, but World War II was just a super, super rough time. Black people were still two decades away from any semblance of civil rights. Hispanics were also segregated and discriminated against. The Japanese were being sent away like unwanted meals, and even other Asian ethnicities had taken to wearing badges, announcing that they were Chinese or Korean or literally anything besides Japanese. Inclusion and equality were laughable concepts at a state and federal level, and those that got the worst of it had little to no agency to affect any meaningful change. When the Mendes family arrived in Westminster, there were a grand total of two schools, Hoover Elementary and 17th Street Elementary. Like every other school in Orange County at the time, schools were segregated. Hoover Elementary was the Hispanic school, and I use the term loosely, it was a two-room shack in the middle of a Hispanic neighborhood. Just a mile away was the all-white 17th Street Elementary, a actual brick and concrete building surrounded in palm trees. So Gonzalo Sr. wanted his children to attend 17th Street, as it was a well-known fact that the kids there had better supplies, newer books, and just an overall superior educational experience. So in 1943, eight-year-old Sylvia and her brothers, Gonzalo Jr. and Jerome, went with their aunt and Gonzalo's sister, Sally Vidauri, and her children to enroll at 17th Street. At the school, they were told that Sally's children would be allowed to enter 17th Street because they had light skin and an Italian-sounding last name, but Sylvia, Gonzalo Jr., and Jerome would not be allowed because of their last name and how dark their skin was. And here's the thing. This was the law. At that time in California, Latinos were classified based on their name and appearance. You could be straight from Mexico City, but if you were light-skinned, had a last name that could pass from Mediterranean, and spoke English, you could be labeled as white, assuming that passing is what you were going for. But if your sibling had darker skin, they'd be written off as Hispanic. A Hispanic family with multiple children applying to school would often find some kids being accepted into a white school if they were light enough, maybe had like a stepdad with a different last name, while their darker brothers and sisters, whose last names were more of the Gonzalez-Hernandez variety, would find themselves ostracized to the local crappy makeshift school for immigrant offspring. Aunt Sally was rightfully pissed, and she stormed out of the school with the kids and went back home, telling Gonzalo Sr. what had happened. And that was the day that Westminster realized they messed with the wrong immigrant. So Gonzalo and Felicitas decided that they must first gather the support of the community as this was clearly not an isolated incident. Felicitas took over running the farm and the family business while Gonzalo tried to rally his neighbors and friends. It was a rough road at first, as much of the Hispanic community was focused on working and providing and not rocking the boat. Many were simply happy to be in the country and grateful that their kids were getting any sort of education. So ruffling feathers and drawing the already scornful eye of the government onto their community just seemed like pure folly. Yet Gonzalo was both respected and persistent, and finally he managed to summon the support of four other Mexican-American dads, from the Estrada, Ramirez, Gomez, and Palomino families. They hired David Marcus, a civil rights attorney who filed a lawsuit in federal court on behalf of the 5,000 Hispanic school in the Westminster, Santa Ana, Garden Grove, and El Medina, now the City of Orange's, districts. So Marcus first filed an injunction demanding that the schools integrate. This kicked off a two-week-long trial with the two sides taking very different tacks. The Westminster School District's sole line of defense was a flimsy balloon easily punctured. They claimed that Hispanic children could not attend schools with white children because Hispanic children didn't speak English well enough. Under oath, school district officials also admitted to transferring Hispanic students out of their schools based on their last names and the color of their skin, not on their test scores, their grades, or their academic performance. So Westminster's whole theory about how Hispanic kids can't go to school with white kids because Hispanic kids can't speak English was pretty rapidly deflated when eight-year-old Sylvia took the stand, explaining in perfect English how horrible the school was, how the children felt walking past signs that said no dogs or Mexicans on the way to school, and how the kids were learning nothing of their own heritage or culture at Hoover. Indeed, a first grade class photo that I found online from 1944 at Hoover shows one white female teacher in front of a kind of slapdash looking building and a class of 40 Hispanic children, each one looking remarkably sad or frightened. Another plaintiff's daughter in the case, Genevieve Barrio Southgate, years later in a magazine interview She explained that the school was actually next to a cow pasture, and there was flies constantly swarming around, forcing students to eat lunch with one hand and bat away bugs with the other. Sylvia's testimony during the trial aligned with the novel approach that Marcus was taking in his path. He utilized social science to prove that segregation creates feelings of inferiority in children of color, potentially causing lifelong issues. Backing up Marcus was a slew of amicus briefs from such heavy hitters as the ACLU, the NAACP, the National Lawyers Guild, the American Jewish Congress, and the Japanese American Citizens League. Thurgood Marshall was actually the author of the amicus brief from the NAACP, and five years later, he would use Marcus's reasoning in front of the Supreme Court during Brown versus Board of Ed. So the presiding judge, U.S. District Court Judge Paul J. McCormick, wholeheartedly agreed with Gonzalo and the others, and he ordered that all districts stop their, quote, discriminatory practices against the pupils of Mexican descent in the public schools, adding that a paramount requisite in the American system of public education is social equality. It must be open to all children by unified school association, regardless of lineage. The district, which was spending a lot of time and money trying to be racist, filed an appeal in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. But the Court of Appeals agreed with Judge McCormick, and two months later, California Governor Earl Warren signed a bill banning segregation in every school in the state of California. Thanks to Sylvia Mendez's family, California became the first state to desegregate their schools. On January 19th, 1948, Sylvia, Gonzalo Jr. and Jerome were allowed to start at 17th Street Elementary. Unfortunately, but not surprisingly, their classmates were pretty awful to them. They were called names and bullied constantly, but they had their parents' formidable spirit, and they somehow managed to survive this horrible environment. Gonzalo Jr. wanted to be a pilot after high school, but understanding that the chances of becoming a Hispanic pilot at least a professional one that was going to be offered a good job, were slim to none, so he ended up becoming a carpenter. Gonzalo Sr. died in 1964 at the age of 51, sadly way too soon to see just how far-reaching and long-lasting his impact would become. Felicitius lived until 1998, passing away at Sylvia's house and leaving behind six kids, 21 grandchildren, and 13 great-grandchildren. Sylvia became a pediatric nurse after high school, eventually becoming the assistant nursing director of the Pediatric Pavilion at the Los Angeles University of Southern California Medical Center. She adopted two girls, and she currently lives in Fullerton, California, just 20 minutes north of Westminster. Today, the Mendez family name has been bestowed on schools and law libraries across the country, including the Sylvia Mendez School in Berkeley, a two-way Spanish and English immersion elementary. In 2011, Sylvia was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama. She travels the country sharing her family stories and lecturing on the history of segregation in schools. My sources today were Wikipedia, uscourts.gov, KCET, and the Sylvia Mendez School website. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Sylvia Mendez. Join me on June 12th when we learn about Eugenie Brazier, the first female three-star Michelin chef. See you then.